time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you? Hopefully you're doing well. Thanks so much for joining us for today's edition of The Financial Physician. My name's Lou Scatigna, certified financial planner and your money doctor, both Sunday and Wednesday, our Sunday program, which you're listening to now, rough, runs roughly two hours. But I'm going to tell you, this this week it's probably going to be uh, an abbreviated show because I'm recording the program uh, while we're at sea. Uh, I'm on the Oasis of the Seas cruise ship uh, returning from the Bahamas. We had great weather all the way down. The seas were fine. Uh, but obviously we had an eye on Hurricane Lee uh, that's just about – 200 miles northeast of us now as we're going north on our way back to Bayonne, New Jersey. And I must say, the seas are pretty high. Uh, I would say that we have probably 10-foot swells out there. And the ship is moving. And uh, a lot of people aren't feeling too well on the ship right now, uh, including my wife, Susan, who is um, turning a little green uh, right now. So she's trying to to sleep it off. So um, I'm not going to go the full two hours today. It's just uh, I'm on vacation. And uh, it's not the best studio situation that I have here uh, in my cabin on the cruise ship. So uh, we have a good show for you today, but we're probably going to go, you know, an hour, an hour and a half instead of two hours. And we'll be back on Wednesday for our full Wednesday uh, program. As you know, we've been uh, summarizing uh, chapters of my book, The Financial Physician, How to Cure Your Money Problems and Boost Your Financial Health. And you can get a free copy. Just go to thefinancialphysician.com and you could download the PDF um, and follow along uh, or just read the book. Or you can get a hard copy of the book by just emailing me at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Just email me your name and address and just request a copy of the book. I'll be happy to send it out to you at my cost. Now, we're up to Chapter 6. And Chapter 6 is probably one of the most important chapters in the book as far as I'm concerned. Well, I could say that about a lot of them. But this one's real important. And, and as a financial planner for four decades, uh, this issue comes up all the time. And the title of the, um, the, the chapter is Lack of Spousal Teamwork. Uh, and the, the chapters are titled based on the reasons why people fail financially. In this case, it's lack of spousal teamwork. Now, early in my career, it was pretty um, common for the, the husband to handle all the financial matters in the family. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that, that only one spouse had to work. And uh, he would be the breadwinner and he'd be the one that would manage the money and the investments and the savings and pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the spouse, in this case, usually the wife, would get her weekly allowance to go grocery shopping and buy what the kids need and so forth. And that started to change as uh, family economics started to change, as we started to live beyond our means and we became a consumer society and we wanted new cars and we wanted bigger houses. And now we needed both spouses to go out to work. And, uh, and then the dynamics changed with the money because now I, you know, both spouses earn money. And now the, 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 the wife, assuming that she's the one that finally went back to, to work, uh, you know, she wanted to control her own money. And uh, many times in many families, even now, I mean, we see it where uh, one spouse controls the money, manage it. Let's call them the managing spouse. And the other one don't really know what's going on. And this can cause a lot of problems uh, for a family's finances and for a family's marriage. Because if only one uh, person runs the financial show, the other one's going to feel left out. And feel that he or she has no say in the use of his, his or her own money and the money in the family. The managing partner may not know what the other really wants, uh, nor get the benefit of the partner's knowledge and feelings about money. And many times I see uh, 
husband and wife comes in, uh, and I could tell within just a few minutes, maybe two, three minutes, who's in charge. Who's the one that makes the financial decisions? It's very, very apparent in the beginning because they're the one who start talking. They're the one that has the folder with all the copies of the statements in it. And the other one just sits there like a bump on a log and just, you know, you know nods their head once in a while. And this is very dangerous because you need teamwork to succeed in almost anything. Because if you don't have teamwork, one spouse is going to sabotage the other one. Not on purpose. It's just going to be the way they manage money and the way they manage their spending uh, when there's no concrete plan. So one person doing all the financial work also has the effect on the non-managing partner and on the relationship. The non-managing partner may not be aware of the limits that he or she should follow. If unaware that they are in a financial crunch, for example, right, they may just continue to spend and drive it up, drive up debt. So it's very important to have communication when it comes to money. And unfortunately, too many families don't do that. And also, sooner or later, one of you are going to die. And it's going to leave the surviving partner uh, with all the financial issues. And if that financial partner is the one that was not managing the finances over the course of their life, uh, they're going to be in trouble. Because they're not going to know what to do. They're going to be very vulnerable uh, to the financial sharks that are out there. You know, there's people in the financial services industry that look for newly widowed women. Uh, they would surf the obituaries and try to find a woman, you know, f- that just got uh, uh, widowed and they'd send her a letter or they'd call her up. They'd, they'd track her down and say they're a financial advisor and uh, they'd like to sit down with them and go over their finances with them and give them a game plan. And more often than not, they're sold you know, high commission products like annuities and things like that, and uh, they're taken advantage of. So it's very important to keep uh, your spouse involved in the finances, especially as you get older. Because as we get older, we know we're getting closer to death, right? So uh, you don't want to make sure that the surviving spouse knows what to do. Now, I just recently uh, got a call from a long-term client. Uh, She was uh, uh, distraught. Her husband had just uh, suddenly passed away uh, a week or so prior, uh, and she had no idea of what money they had, where it was, what her income is going to be now that he's gone, uh, and she was in a total, totally destroyed. So I went to see her because uh, she didn't drive, and uh, once in a blue moon, I make a house call, not not too often, but in this case, uh, she was a long-term client. I felt so bad for her. I went to her house, and I saw her. And uh, she had no idea where anything was, where statements were for bank accounts, investment accounts. And what this guy did, uh, not only did he keep her out of the loop, he kept her name off all of his accounts. Everything was in his name alone. And, you know, that's a problem because it is so much more difficult to uh, settle in this state when you don't have joint survivors on accounts. And this was the case with her. Everything he kept in his name. They had savings bonds. They had bank accounts. And uh, when I went through the inventory, because I do their taxes, so I was able to, to kind of forensically go backwards and say, look, there's a bank account at PNC Bank. Let's go find a statement for that. Uh, there's dividends from this stock. Uh, let's try to figure out where that stock certificate is or who's holding that, those shares. And then we had to go through the process of now retitling all these accounts in her name. Now, it's not impossible to do. It just takes a lot longer and it's much more laborious to do. And I'm doing all the paperwork, so it's all on me. Um, But especially when it comes to savings bonds, trying to deal with the the federal government, because you just can't walk into a bank these days and take care of it. You have to deal with the Federal Reserve uh, Bank of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, And, you know, many people like this guy, had something like 100 savings bonds. He was buying them regularly, you know, $50 savings bonds. And now each one of them, we have to get retitled in her name. So that requires a death certificate. That requires uh, probating the will and being named the executor uh, and going through all that stuff. And this happens all the time. I I have another client whose husband died in February of this year. Uh, Again, same situation. 
He handled everything. Everything was in his name. I'm still dealing with trying to change stocks into her name and selling them. Just real, real pain in the neck. Uh, So if you take anything from this uh, chapter, husbands, make sure your spouse is joint owner of any account that could be jointly held. Whether it's your home, whether it's a bank account. Now, of course, individual retirement accounts, pensions, 401ks. You're going to need a beneficiary. That's fine. Another important issue with couples is risk tolerance. You know, one spouse could be very aggressive as far as their investments go, but the other spouse may be very conservative. So it's very important to to discuss these things and make sure that you're not forcing your risk tolerance on your spouse. Uh, And I see that. I I say that term all the time. I see it all the time. Uh, I I do. Uh, The husband will come in. He's very aggressive. I'm looking at the, the portfolio. And I could tell right away that the spouse has no idea about how risky the portfolio is. Very important to do that and make sure that you're both on the same page. And that's why I ask specific questions of each spouse in our first meeting. And I can get a feel for that. I can get a feel for their risk tolerance, what their goals are, and try to almost be a marriage counselor, a financial marriage counselor uh, with my clients to try to get them both on the same page. So what's a good thing to do? Well, each month, you should pay the bills together. Find a time every every month. The kids are in bed. Kids are at school, whatever. You're not going to be interrupted. Turn off your cell phone and pay the bills together. And, and why should you do that? Because you could discuss each bill. You can say, look, honey, you know, look at this electric bill. I mean, it's $400 a month. You know, what can we do to, you know, save $75 a month on this? Uh, let's make sure we keep the lights off. You know, we keep the thermostat if we have electric heat, you know, at a certain temperature. And now we both own it. You know, we both have a goal together, right? And, uh, and hopefully next month when we, we look at our electric bill, we, we're successful. And we got it down because we worked together to do that. Also, go over every credit card bill. Go over every line in it. And make sure, A, that it's correct, that you've been charged properly. B, that you analyze, uh, is the debt going up? Is it going down? What's our goal to pay it off? Maybe we should cut back on our spending. It's important to have that talk. Because if you don't have these talks, and if you're not in the same team, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have fights about money. And we all know that uh, the number one reason that marriages do not succeed is because of money. And I say because of lack of spousal teamwork. And that's why we're going to fight about money. Because we're not working as a team. So have that monthly meeting. Go over every bill, especially credit card bills, because that's the worst debt you possibly could have. And that's what ruins your finances. Look at all the spending that both of you have done over the course of the month and say, look, we got to cut back on this. You know, you can't be going out and buying, you know, $200 worth of clothes every month. I mean, we got to cut that back. And that's both of you, uh, both spouses. You know, the husband may be going out to play golf three times a week at $100 a day. Uh, Maybe he's got to cut it back too. Real important to do that. Review your investment statements. Uh, Again, this should not be on the shoulders of just one spouse. Both of you should be involved in it. Evaluate the risks. Are we too risky? Did we realize that we could lose this much money in the market downturn? Uh, And then make uh, decisions between the two of you of how you're going to adjust the portfolio to either lower the risk or if it's too conservative, increase the risk. Um, And... uh, it's so important to do that. It really is. Now, I got to admit, and I've said this on this program, uh, I'm guilty of this. I shouldn't say I'm guilty of it. My wife is. My wife doesn't want to have anything to do with our family finances. Not at all. She doesn't know our net worth. She has an idea, but she's not even close if I asked her to guess. Uh She's not aware of our investments, where I have the money. And, you know, she says, look, you're the certified financial planner. Well, you know, why do I need to be involved in this? 
And I said, because one day I may not be here. And you should at least know the basics of what where our money is. Uh, but I've had a hard time getting through to her. Now, perhaps if my health starts declining or, you know, or later on in life, she'll be more open to learning more about it. Uh, because, sorry, guys, uh, the statistics still show that women live longer than men. Uh, so chances are you're going to be gone before uh, they are. And at some point in their life, they're going to have to manage the money. And it's very, very important that you have them uh, at least trained. I, I don't even want to use the word trained. That's not right. But at least acclimated to proper money management. Uh, and uh, it's important to have a, uh, a loving discussion about money as opposed to uh, fighting about it. So uh, sit together, pay the bills together, choose a time and place uh, where it's quiet, uh, discuss ways to increase your savings, uh, review your investments. And, you know, goals are easier to reach uh, when others support our efforts. And that's the beauty of teamwork. But if we act alone, it's easy, easy for us to stray and accept our own excuses if we mess up because there's no accountability to anybody else. Uh, but it's much harder uh, to pull the wool over somebody else's eyes uh, when both of you are involved in the finances. And uh, when we leave this earth, uh, do you want to leave your spouse in a position where they are bound to fail financially or be devoured by the sharks that are out there? Of, co of course you don't. You know, we want them to do well. We want them to be happy. Uh, and we want them to be financially set when we're gone. And the way to ensure that is to make sure both of you are financially aware and, uh, and you work together. And I lay it all out in the, my book, The Financial Physician, which is available. I'm not selling the book. And I'm not telling you to go to Amazon to buy it. Although I think it's only like $6 in Amazon right now. Uh, uh, you can get the free copy at thefinancialphysician.com, the PDF file. It's really nicely done. Or if you desire a hard copy because that's, that's the way you like to read, uh, just send me an email, lou at thefinancialphysician.com with your name and address, and I will mail you out at my cost a free copy of The Financial Physician. So uh, no excuse not to have one. Now, the next chapter in the book goes hand in hand uh, with spousal teamwork, and it's entitled Lack of Detailed Record Keeping and Review. Uh, again, another reason why families fail financially. They don't keep good records. And to use a, a health analogy, um, which we do on the financial physician, obviously, when you go to your doctor for your annual checkup, your height, your weight, your vital signs are checked, right? You're asked how you feel and if you're having any pressing problems, and the information is entered in your chart. Then the doctor reviews your record. He notes any changes from the previous year or the previous appointment, gives you some more tests, and then he discusses his, your physical condition with you. And every year the process is repeated. We should do the same thing with our finances each and every year, and even more so than a physical, an annual physical. You should do it monthly, basically. I just said that, right? But when it comes to our financial health, people are not as diligent. Most of us don't keep good financial records or make a budget or monitor our financial health. And, and that's a big danger. Uh, one of the first things I ask people when they come in to uh, see me for the first time, you know, what's your net worth? And, and I say that not expecting them to give me an accurate answer. I say that to illustrate how ignorant they are about their own financial condition because then we figure out their net worth uh, and they're surprised. They're either pleasantly surprised or they're horrified. Uh, and it's not hard to do. Uh, and if we keep good financial records, we know exactly where we are. We know uh, if we keep goals, if we have goals, we'll know how close we are to achieving our goals. And I, th I say that uh, financial record keeping and review is, uh, is preventative medicine. Necessary steps that we should take to stay financially fit. 
And the most important one, as I said, is, is, is an at worth statement. Very, very simple thing to do. It's not hard. All you do is you take a piece of paper. On the left-hand side, you write on the top assets. And you list everything you own. Your bank accounts, CDs, IRA accounts, investment accounts, your home, the value of your cars. Anything that you own goes on the left side of that paper. Now, you have to make sometimes estimates uh, of what your house is worth. Nobody knows what their house is worth to the dollar. But make a reasonable as estimate and, you know, be conservative. And then you add up all your assets, and that's your total assets at the bottom of the page. Not hard, right? Easy enough to do. All you got to do is take statements. Now, a lot of people uh, will do this uh, on January 1st because they want to see year over year exactly what's happening. And that's fine. I do it. I do it every January 1st. That's part of my New Year's Day uh, is doing my net worth statement. Uh, but you could do that monthly. You could do it every six months. Uh, you don't have to do it just annually. So we have all our assets on the left-hand side of the paper. Now for the difficult part. Uh, that's the liabilities, which is a fancy name for debt. How much debt do we have in our household? All right, the first line is going to be mortgage. Right, usually that's the, the largest debt we have. Uh, is our mortgage debt. So write down the balance of your mortgage. I also like to write the interest rate in parentheses next to it just to get an idea of uh, how much money I'm paying other people to borrow. Uh, the next line will be car payments, car loans. Next uh, line will be credit cards. Now you'll see as you're going down this list here, the interest rates are going up. Most likely the lowest interest rate you're going to have is your mortgage especially given that we've had such low mortgage rates for so long. Many people refinance. Many people bought homes with 3%, 3.5% mortgages, which are like gold right now, obviously, with mortgages over 7%. And that's the reason why there's, there's no inventory to sell. There's no, no houses for sale because nobody wants to give up their 3% their mortgage to go out and buy a house and get a 7% mortgage, right? So any debt that you have, Write it on the right side of the paper. Total it all up. That's your total liabilities. All right. Again, not difficult to do. Just a matter of pulling out statements. Next thing you want to do is take your assets, subtract, uh, subtract your debts, and that's your net worth. Anybody can do it. It won't take a long time. And you'll pretty much get your net worth pretty close to almost exact. Now, you have to make some estimates, as I said, but, but it'd be pretty good. Now, again, getting back to spousal teamwork, you know, do this together. You'll both have a stake in it. Do it together. I can't tell you how important it is to do these things together. Well, if you don't do it together, do it yourself and then go over it with the, the other spouse. Uh, you don't want to be a bystander. And, th and that's the problem when you don't have spousal teamwork. One of the spouses is, is a standby, just watching it as a bystander, just watching what's going on and not having any idea. Also, be organized. Start by finding a place to keep all your financial records and receipts. A spot that's easy to access. It's convenient. It could be a file folder. It could be a, just a drawer that you throw everything in. That's all right, as long as you know where it is, or an old shoebox. Then get in the habit of putting all your receipts in there. As I said, monthly review, very important. And again, important to do together. So what are um, some of the checklists? I got In the book, I, I put uh, a financial review checklist what you should do each month. Again, preferably together. Examine every bill and statement line by line. Compare the amount of each charge with your receipt to make sure it's accurate. You know, bills can be wrong. I see it all the time on my own bills. Charges can be an error. You can be double charged for something. Interest rates have been um, raised maybe and you didn't even know about it. So you might want to stop using certain cards. And if you have any question on any item on a bill, immediately contact the company that billed you.
question whether each of your expenditures was necessary. As we said earlier um, uh, in reviewing the book, uh, you know, we have financial literacy, we have financial irresponsibility. And in the book, we talk about do you need that product or do you want that product? Can you afford that product or are you going to go in debt to acquire that product? So always question whether the expenditures you have that you see on these bills is necessary. Also, keep in mind that we have a lot of reoccurring charges that hit our credit cards or our debit card every single month. And these are called subscriptions. And you'd be surprised how many subscriptions you have where money comes out of your account. Could be for Netflix. Could be, could be for... Um, uh, Spotify or, or some kind of music service you have, XM Satellite Radio that you may not listen to. Uh, maybe you're paying $6 a month for Hulu and you never use it. Or maybe you're paying 300 a month on your cable bill because you have the premium package and you never watch HBO or Showtime. So review those too your subscriptions and decide what you can shut down. Many of us are so lazy that we just let it, we just let it run. Cause I got to find out where the subscription is, which card is hitting that. Then I got to make some phone calls and ah, forget about it. It takes some effort on your part to be um, financially healthy. Uh, check all your interest rates, uh, your line of credit amounts, the balances that are available to you. It's always good to know that if I need money, can I get it? And at what terms? Monitor all your investment accounts for performance and risk. Check your bank statements to see how your saving levels are and what interest rate you're earning on your savings. You know how many, you know how many people, you know how many billions of dollars were sitting in bank accounts and earned zero interest for 12 years when the Fed had zero interest rate policy. Not that it's much better in banks now. But people were more than content to keep their life savings at 0% interest. People would come in and do their taxes. I'd get, get a kick out of this. They bring in their 1099 INT, their interest from their bank account. $17.58. And they had $100,000 in the savings account at the bank. Ridiculous. When they could have moved that money to a money market account, and maybe got 2 or 3%. But again, it comes down to inertia. It comes down to laziness, disengagement. Compare your actual expenditures to your written budget. Oh, you don't have a written budget. Well, few people do. Successful people do. You want to be financially successful? Do a written budget. That's another thing that goes with the net worth statement. There's two important documents that you need to do. It's a net worth statement, and we call it a cash flow statement in financial planning circles, but it's a budget. And write down everything you spend every month. You will be surprised. People come to me all the time. Hey, Lou, uh, I'm 55 years old. You know, we make good money, but I didn't save much for retirement. You know, it's, it seems that, you know, we don't know where the money goes. Well, let's find out where it goes. The only reason you don't know where your money goes is because you're not looking at it. Now, our fixed expenses are pretty easy, right? We know what our mortgage payment is. Uh, we know what our car payments are. Then we have some variable expenses like utilities, uh, credit card payments, those are variable, obviously. Um, write them all down. Total it up. Now, there's a lot of things that are going to fall through the cracks here. Especially if you're a person who uses a lot of cash or your debit card. Uh, you know, you go and you um, buy a $5 Starbucks coffee. You know, it's not going to make it into your budget, but it should. You go out to breakfast three or four days a week, or you go out to lunch, you go to work and you, you go out to lunch and you, you, you pay $15 for lunch every day. 
best thing to do is to carry around a small little notebook binder in your back pocket or your pocketbook. And every time you spend a dime, you write it down. Do that for three months and you'll see where your money goes. Also, you want to add up, obviously, where all your income comes from. Salary, interest, dividends. Do you collect rent? Any money that comes into your life. So you total up your income. You total up your expenses. And hopefully, the expenses are less than the income. But in many cases, not. In many cases, it's the opposite. The expenditures are more than the income. And that's how you get into debt. Because there's no other way to survive than to rip out a credit card or tap into your line of credit on your home. The mathematics, uh, they don't lie. There's no way that you're going to spend more than you take in an income and not go further into debt. It's impossible. So you want to make sure that uh, you do have a budget. Now, in, um, in the book... And especially in the PDF, it's, it's even better. Uh, I have a template. I have a net worth statement template. And it says as of. So you put the date there. And it lists all assets on one side. Checking, saving, CDs, uh, investments, 401k, investment account one, investment account two, IRA one, IRA two, other. Fixed assets, home, car. And you can just total it up there. And I also have a cash flow statement template, which is a way for you to develop your budget. So important to um, do a monthly review, to keep good records, to have your spouse involvement, very important in it. And by doing this, your relationship will be better. You Certainly your financial health will improve. And uh, when you're gone, at least, you know that your spouse at least has um, – the rudimentary knowledge of the family's finances. All right, let's take a break. You're listening to The Financial Physician. My name's Lou Skatigna. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Argentus Advisors. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. All right, welcome back to the Financial Physician Podcast. My name is Lou Skatignas, certified financial planner and your money doctor, not once but twice a week. Now, we have our normal Sunday podcast up by 9 a.m., that's our two-hour program, and then we do our midweek Wednesday program, roughly one hour, up by 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, go to thefinancialphysician.com. Um, we'll link you over to Podomatic. Follow the show so you'll be notified uh, as soon as uh, a new show goes up. Uh, last week, we did not do a midweek podcast because we were on vacation. Um, we'll be up and running again uh, this Wednesday. You want to get in touch with me? Just send me an email at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. I promise to respond to each and every email. If I don't, just send it again. Uh, if you have a personal finance question or something you want me to cover on the program, I just want to say hi. Uh, love your emails. We'll respond to each and every one of them. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Uh, and it looks like now inflation 
is starting to heat up again. It's not going away. Uh, I don't care how high the Fed raises interest rates. It's not going to change things. It'll moderate it a little bit. Uh, but the P- CPI, the Consumer Price Index, this week was announced. It was up seven tenths of one percent uh, over July. Um, uh, it's a three point seven percent increase year over year. And if you believe that, I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. Um, inflation is much much higher than that. But according to the CPI, three point seven percent year over year. The Producer Price Index also came out the next day, uh, up again seven tenths of one percent month over month. But it's only up, if you believe it, 1.6% year over year. Um, don't believe any of it? Uh, you like chocolate? Well, <laughs> it's getting real expensive for you now. Uh, you know cocoa is up 58% in the last 12 months? I mean, that's that's incredible. Uh, I guess there's environmental reasons for that or uh, climate or crop problems, whatever it is. I haven't really looked into it. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, if you like if you like chocolate, it's going to be costing you a lot more money, uh, up fifty eight percent. And it's funny if you look at a, a chart of uh, Hershey's uh, stock uh, and uh, Tootsie Roll stock, they're both down twenty percent year to date. So uh, it's hurting these manufacturers, obviously, who can't raise their products sixty percent. I mean, nobody's going to buy them, so they have to eat uh, some of these losses. And uh, obviously, uh, shareholders aren't really happy with that. Another thing we're keeping an eye on very closely is oil prices. Oil prices this week went over $90 a barrel. Hasn't been there in a long time. Uh, We're going to see gasoline prices starting to skyrocket again. In many places in the United States, it's already hitting $5, certainly $4 or close to it uh, in most of the United States right now. And just keep in mind, energy, it goes into everything. Uh, So uh, if oil prices go up, prices on everything go up. And, you know, we see that the, the oil-producing nations now are getting together, and they're not very friendly to the United States. you got Saudi Arabia now joining the BRICS, uh, the United Arab Emirates, you got Iran, you have Russia. Uh, these are all major oil producers, and they want to get away from the petrodollar. And without the petrol, the dollar isn't worth very much. Uh, and the only reason why the dollar has not crashed is because of its world reserve status, and namely trading in oil. Uh, and if they get away from that, and they are, uh, it, it, it spells uh, danger for the U.S. dollar and inflation here in the United States. Another concern I have, I don't know what, there's nothing, I can't prove anything on this, I just got a strange feeling about it, is that I think at some point here uh, that the oil-producing nations are going to really uh, crack down on exporting oil to the United States. And if you're old enough to remember 1973-74, the oil embargo uh, and what it did to the country, uh, they could gang up against us. If they don't like something we're doing or we do something to one of them, uh, they could just say, you know what, we're not shipping oil to the United States. Or, like they've done recently, is just keep cutting production. And that's the reason why oil prices now are over $90 a barrel is because, you know, Saudi Arabia has lowered production. And that's the way they control price. And if they want the, the, the price of oil to go up, they just stop producing it and stop exporting it. And the price goes up. They want it to go down, they just start producing more of it. It's just a spigot. They could turn it on and off. Uh, and as the United States has rep- weaponized the dollar, uh, these countries can weaponize oil and energy. And with Joe Biden and, and his administration destroying the energy industry uh, here in the United States – and using up our entire strategic petroleum reserve to try to keep prices down for political reasons, that's a prescription uh, for accelerating inflation, oil shortages, uh, uh, recession, uh, and all kinds of nasty stuff. And that's, a, that's where it seems like we're going. Now, because um, the government fudges every economic number to make it look better than it really is, uh, estimates for the Social Security cost of living adjustment uh, for January 1st is looking to come in about 3.2%. I mean, it was almost 9% last year, if you recall, uh, when we had that crazy inflation year. Uh, but it looks like it's coming in at 3.2%. For the average Social Security recipient, it's a meager $57 a month. Uh, tell me, seniors out there, uh, did prices of things go up 
$57 a month or less, or did they go up more over the last year? You tell me from the real world, not the world of um, Bidenomics. The average uh, uh, Social Security payment is going to be $1,790 after the increase. Now we have to see, you know, what the Medicare Part B premium does. Uh, My guess is it's going to go up. The question is how much of that $57 is going to be eaten up by that. Uh, So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. We probably won't know that until November, uh, but we'll report it here uh, once we get that information. So now after uh, indicting Trump so many times you could lose count, um, special counsel Jack Smith now is attempting to put a gag order on Donald Trump. So Donald Trump is running for re-election. He has a political persecution uh, by the government who he's running against, uh, obviously the president of that government. His administration is prosecuting him. And now they don't want him to be able to defend himself in public. And you have Jack Smith who's leaking information to the New York Times and the Washington Post uh, about his investigation. Uh, That's fine. But Trump can't defend himself in public opinion while he's running uh, for president. It's absurd. Uh, so he uh, made a motion in front of this corrupt judge that hates Trump anyway. We'll see what where this goes. Uh, but he um, he's afraid that uh, Trump is going to prejudice the jury pool. Uh, and and uh, meanwhile, he's the one who's been re- leaking information. You got the press every day uh, saying he's guilty of sin and shouldn't be allowed to run. You have uh, politicians in states around the country try to get him off the ballot. Uh, they're doing everything they can to try to get him off the ballot because they know he's going to win. And uh, Trump responded. He did a speech, uh, I guess it was um, Thursday night, uh, and this was his response to uh, Jack Smith trying to put a muzzle on him. Today, uh, we had uh, this prosecutor deranged Jack Smith. Has anyone ever heard to be jack smith sounds so nice doesn't it he's a deranged individual and he wants to take away my first amendment rights they went to court to get an order that i can't speak now you gotta send i'm the leading candidate by 50 points and i'm leading biden by a lot and they want to see if they can silence me so the media the fake news will ask me a question i'm sorry i won't be able to answer that how do you think we do in that election so we're going to have a little bit of a fun with that, I think, because that's a tough one. Can you imagine? So we have somebody weaponizing. We have this incompetent president put somebody in to essentially rig the election just like they did before. And what this does, it sets a tremendously bad precedent because you look at what's happened with this. Now, if I win... And let's say somebody comes along on the Democrat side and they're looking very strong. I can call my attorney general, I guess. Am I allowed to call him and say, you have to indict him on something. Just find anything. You can indict him for anything you want. Just indict him. And then for the most part, when you get indicted, you know what you do? Ladies and gentlemen, I have decided to leave office immediately, et cetera, et cetera. I will be spending more time with my family. Do you ever hear that speech? Like hundreds of times. I'm the only one that ever got indicted where my poll numbers went through the roof. What the hell is going on? I'm the only one. It's never happened before. Never happened before. But they want to take away our First Amendment rights. That's going to be an interesting one. No wonder why they want to put a muzzle on him in a gag order. Uh, He's calling the prosecutor deranged every day. Uh, I guess he doesn't really like it. Um, But I can't see how this is possible. You you can't tell a defendant uh, that they can't defend themselves in public and talk about what's happening to them. I don't think you can do that, especially when our person is an ex-president being persecuted and prosecuted and everything else uh, by his opponents in a presidential election. Uh, But with this judge, who knows? then it'll be appealed, and you know you know how that goes. I don't see Trump shutting up, no matter what the judge says. Uh, it's just not possible. And maybe that's what they're trying to do, try to get him on a contempt charge now, uh, because he won't shut up, and they know he can't. So we'll see how this plays out next week. Um, but with this judge, anything can happen. Do you hear about this crazy uh, Democratic uh, 
governor of, uh, I guess it's New Mexico, uh, Governor Michelle Grisham, last Friday declared gun violence a public health emergency after a, a 13-year-old girl was shot dead, a 5-year-old girl a couple of weeks later, and then an 11-year-old boy on September 6th. And of course, it's always the gun's fault. So she, she said that she is going to suspend uh, suspension of open and concealed carry laws in Bernalillo County, temporarily prohibiting the carrying of guns on public property with certain exceptions. Exceptions include for licensed security guards and law enforcement officers. Citizens with permits to carry firearms are free to possess their weapons on private property. Well, thank you. Such as a gun range or a gun store, provided they transport the firearm in a lockbox, use a trigger lock, or some other mechanism that renders the gun incapable of being fired. All right. Now, of course, she has no right to suspend the Second Amendment for any emergency. But these Democrats don't care. You know, they'll take their chances in court. And sure enough, uh, a judge said it was uh, unconstitutional and he rendered it ineffective. But she won't back down. Nope. She um, she says now that uh, uh, even though District Court Judge David Urias, a Biden appointee, why do we always have to, after a judge's name, announce which president appointed him? Why is it? Shouldn't judges just be... Uh, fair and balanced and follow the law. You always say a Trump, a Trump nominee uh, or, or a Biden nominee uh, or an Obama nominee. And the reason why you say that, and I said it in these articles, because the justice system now is totally politicized. And no longer the, do these judges care about um, the Constitution or the rule of law. But obviously this judge does. Uh, judge David Urias, a Biden appointee, issued a temporary restraining order against Grisham's gun grab until the next hearing in early October. And he said that her uh, her dictate violated the uh, rights of law-abiding citizens to defend themselves. Yeah, so crime's going up uh, in that state, and people who lawfully got guns so they could defend themselves against such crime, you know, are being told they can't carry their guns. Um, so... In response to the judge's order, she just didn't take it. She amended her unconstitutional order. Uh, she's not complying with the court's restraining order. Uh, and she said that um, she's issuing a narrower order that broadly suspended the right to carry firearms in and around Albuquerque to apply only to public parks and playgrounds where children and their families gather. So if uh, I bring my child to a public park and, you know, somebody comes and tries to harm the family, I can't carry my gun to defend them. That's basically what she's saying. So she uh, said her executive order is amended to focus now on no open or concealed carry in public parks or playgrounds. She can't do that. It doesn't matter where. She can't suspend people's legal rights to own a gun or carry a gun, which is legal in New Mexico. But these, these Democrats, they don't care. They don't care what judges say. You know, they're being told by the media to just outright disobey Supreme Court justices if they don't agree with the decision. But everybody's turning against her. Uh, Even her own attorney general, fellow Democrat, said that uh, he will not be defending her in any lawsuit against uh, the state. And um, uh, most people now in that state, Democratic and Republican, you know, are totally against this and they're not going to comply with her order because it's unconstitutional. And and that's what uh, the attorney general said, uh, that it's unconstitutional. He said, though I recognize my statutory obligation as New Mexico's chief legal officer to defend state officials when they are sued in their official capacity, my duty to uphold and defend the constitutional rights of every citizen takes precedence. Simply put, I do not believe that the emergency order will have any meaningful impact on public safety, but more importantly, I do not believe it passes constitutional muster. So uh, she's not giving up. And the Democrats aren't going to ever give up until they take your guns away because they can't control you then. I mean, what we're dealing with now is just unbelievable uh, what the left in this country is trying to do. And it's not enough pushback. I'm telling you, it is not. It's growing. But it's not what they want to do to our kids in schools. Um, what they're doing with the border is just insane. Um, 
and uh, everything they do, everything, is against the country. And when you talk about the, this immigration crisis, this is nuts what's going on right now. I mean, you see people, it drives me nuts every time I see it on TV and the news, just walking straight into the country with no resistance at all. There should be somebody there with a submachine gun to defend the borders of the United States. Try walking into China like that. Try walking into Mexico like that. See what happens to you. But they could just come in by 2,000 a day, 3,000 a day. Just come on in, walk, go, just let you go. And now, you know, they're moving into democratic cities. And now the cities are, are, are being uh, overrun. They have no place to put these people. It's costing a ton of money. And even Democratic mayors now are calling out. They're not calling out Biden. They're calling out, you know, whoever's shipping them up here uh, from Texas, not close the border. Now, in New York, there's a big crisis. I played it for you. I think it was on um, last Sunday. Uh, Mayor Adams saying, look, you know, we, we can't we can't keep handling these people. There's no place to put them. And it's costing us tons of money. And we don't our budget, you know, just, you know, is bad enough as it is. And outside the Roosevelt Hotel where they process these people, there's just lines and lines of people sitting on the streets. So Democrats, uh, AOC and some other ones from the district in New York had a press conference outside the Roosevelt, Roosevelt Hotel. And it didn't really go too well for them as protesters showed up and drowned them out. dealing with this issue. The second is to allow for work authorizations so that folks in here can get to work and start supporting themselves as soon as possible. They are prevented from getting jobs, they are prevented from employment, and that is part of the strain on our public systems. The faster that folks can access the work that they're asking for legally, submission today. We will continue to fight for the American dream. We will not be bullied. We will not be pushed into a corner. We will fight for these common sense solutions. TPS for the Venezuelans. An extension. They already have TPS. Work permits for people that just want to work for their families. Additional funding, yes, for New York City needs more funding so we can get this done. God bless you, America. We love you. Thank you. We're going to fight for a supplemental that will include... <laughs> I, guess, I guess New Yorkers are, uh, are fed up with what's going on in their city. Uh, and rightfully so. Uh, you got thousands and thousands. I think I think Mayor Adams said uh, so far 110,000 immigrants, um, illegal immigrants, criminals basically, uh, have crossed our border and made their way up to New York. Some of them have been bust up there right from Texas, but a lot of them just gravitate there. You know, that's where they have family, uh, uh, where they have um, they believe there's more resources for them for free. If they move to a democratic sanctuary city like Los Angeles or New York or Chicago, uh, and uh, I think many of them are going there voluntarily, or the federal government is actually shipping them up there or giving them the money. Uh, how are all these people getting the money? That's the question. But uh, people are fed up, and even Democrats have had enough of this. Uh, but they never call Biden out. It's always somebody else's issue. Uh, but never they're going to say we got to close the borders. And that's what these people are yelling at them. Shut the damn borders. Because this, this problem isn't going away just because you want to wish it away. You have to go to the source of the problem, which is our wide open border where nobody is turned away. Nobody's even apprehended. You know, they go and turn themselves in and then they're released. It's insane. 
All right, what else do we have here? Oh, COVID craziness again. They're trying to get us back to the fear of COVID. They want us to put the masks on again, and they want us to be locked down. But most importantly, they want us to get another vaccine shot because the old one didn't work. So now we have to take the new one because this one's supposed to work. And we're hearing, you know, about healthcare systems, you know, putting mask mandates in and so forth and so on. Earlier this week, Providence hospital system in um, I think seven states on the west coast they have 120,000 employees and they put out an email uh, to all their uh, um, employees stating that all employees must receive the latest COVID-19 vaccine which was recently granted emergency use authorization there it goes again emergency use they they, they approve it without any testing basically uh, for emergency use, because there's an emergency, you know, that COVID thing, it's it's good, you know, cases are going up again. Uh, and uh, uh, the updated mRNA, uh, mRNA vaccines were approved on Tuesday, September 12th, and are expected to be available soon. Well, how do they have it available? Right now, I told you that a few weeks ago, they're going to have this new vaccine in the middle of September. And sure enough, the FDA approves it on September 12th. Uh without any real research or anything else. Oh, yeah, for kids, six months and up, you know, all just shoot up your kids with this stuff. It's insane. So uh, they went on to say, oh, we hear cases of COVID-19 are on the rise. And the latest updates to COVID-19 vaccines are proven effective at preventing serious illness from the latest strains. And we updated our COVID-19 vaccination policy and caregivers need to receive the most up-to-date COVID-19 vaccine available. So that's the announcement that they put out to their employees. So later that week, Providence came out and uh, said, this is not a mandate. Well, it sounds like a mandate to me. I'm going to lose my job if I don't get it. Uh, But they said, um, Providence's policy diverges from strict vaccine mandates enforced by state law and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid services during the peak of the pandemic. This is not the same as the vaccine mandates that we required to implement by state law. Caregivers can choose to decline the vaccine. Those who do not wish to receive it simply need to submit a declination form by November 30th. They no longer need to request approval for a medical or religious exemption, as many of our states and CMS required at the height of COVID. All declinations will be automatically accepted. They do not need to be approved. This process is not the same as the medical or religious exemptions that many states and federal regulators required us to review and approve during the pandemic. So obviously they had to do a U-turn because their employees said, pound sand, I will not comply. And that's what we need to hear from everybody. They can't fire everybody, 120,000 doctors and nurses uh, in their hospital system. And I think more and more people are just declining. I'm not taking that stuff. And I tell you, we all know somebody who had vaccine injury. I know people. I know somebody this week that has uh, had all kinds of problems since the shot. Palsy in the face, drooping face, uh, then heart arrhythmias. Uh, Now this week he was rushed to the emergency room and they found clots in his heart. This is a relatively young man. I mean, this is insane what's happening. And they always have this new new, new vaccine, new and improved. And they're going to want us to take every single one of them. And it's not going to work this time, I'm telling you. People are going to push back, and they are pushing back. And uh, hopefully it will continue to do so, including masking your kids to go to school, which is insane. A remarkable moment unfolded in a New York courtroom uh, this past Wednesday uh, as attorney Bobby Ann Flower Cox nice name, uh, who's representing petitioners against Governor Kathy Hochul's administration. And she received a standing ovation uh, for her impassioned oral arguments. I've never seen that in the courtroom before. So she was defending the rights of New Yorkers against draconian and unconstitutional isolation and quarantine camps initially implemented by the Department of Health. Um, And the regulation in question uh, allows for mandating isolation and quarantine orders for individuals without concrete proof that they are sick or have been exposed to diseases listed in the regulation. This regulation granted Department of Health bureaucrats the ability to force 
indefinite isolation and quarantine upon citizens of any age or any reason. Boy, that sounds pretty uh, authoritative to me, doesn't it? Uh, It sounds Orwellian to me. So this was her uh, impassioned uh, plea to the judge. uh, And listen to how the court reacted uh, to this. Rule 2.13 gave the commissioner of health the, the unbridled power to pick and choose which New Yorkers she could lock up. She didn't have to prove you were sick. She didn't have to prove you were exposed to a communicable disease. She didn't have to prove you were a health threat. She could issue an isolation or quarantine order at whim. With the force of police, they could have removed you from your home and put you into a detention center, a facility, whatever you'd like to call it. There was no age restriction. So they could have done this to you, but they also could have done this to your child or your grandchild or your elderly parent. Does the Department of Health have to follow New York state law when they want to remove someone from society who is a public health threat. The answer to that overwhelmingly clear question is, yes, of course the Department of Health has to follow law. If they don't have to follow the law, then what's the point of having the New York state legislature? That's pushback, people. Listen to the applause in the crowd. Uh, People are sick and tired of government becoming tyrannical and mandating lockdowns and kids' masks and vaccinations. People just aren't taking it anymore. And I was talking to a lot of people on this cruise. Seven days we were on it. And um, and uh, we talked politics. And I haven't heard one person back the Biden administration. Not one. Uh, and uh, I had an inter- interesting conversation with um, an ex uh, a retired uh, higher up in the FBI uh, and Homeland Security. Uh, we just uh, sitting at a bar with him and uh, and having a few drinks, and we started talking. And I think he had a, quite a few in him, uh, and he kind of opened up. And uh, I'm going to play excerpts of that because I recorded it. I secretly recorded it when he went to the bathroom. Uh, I, I played a, a James O'Keefe. I was undercover, and he said some really interesting things. And I'm going to edit it and put snippets of it on uh, the Wednesday podcast. You're going to want to tune in for it. Uh, He talks about things that uh, only he would know about. Uh, And he supervised people. And he tells us everything that's going on. And I'm going to edit that that interview. It's like 45 minutes long. And I'm not going to play the whole thing. Uh, But he said some really interesting things. And you're going to be sure. You want to be sure to tune in Wednesday uh, for that podcast. But uh, people have had it. They've had it with this Biden administration. Obviously, um, Biden's not running. Uh, He's not. I mean, it's just, you know, you see the media turning on him now. Uh, Now he's uh, got an impeachment inquiry that uh, the House uh, just uh, started. Now, it's not an impeachment proceeding. They're not impeaching him right now. It's an inquiry to see if they're going to vote to impeach him. Uh, But it's a step in the right direction. Now, meanwhile, the the White House has put marching orders out to the media to defend the president. And sure enough, they are. They're out there and they're all saying the same thing. There is no evidence. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. There is plenty of evidence. Plenty. How about 170-something suspicious activity wires? Uh, How about 20 shell companies getting tens of millions of dollars? How about if you don't fire the prosecutor, you don't get the billion dollars? I mean, Trump was impeached for a phone call. Uh, And this is there's no evidence. That's on tape. That's him bragging. And I've played it for you before. I mean, that's all the that's all the evidence you need. But, you know, they're just going to continue to say there's no evidence directly um, pointing the finger at Joe Biden. Maybe his son, but, but there's no direct evidence that he got any money even though that his son Hunter was paying half his bills and 10% goes to the big guy, um, but uh, there's no direct evidence. And that's what they're going to do until they throw him under the bus, which is, I think, not too far off. But isn't it amazing how that the White House, you know, we have state media now, where the White House, or the Biden White House at least, a Democrat White House, could tell the media exactly how they should be questioning the Republicans in Congress. Oh, now they're going after their kids. You know, they're doing investigations into the Republicans who are bringing the impeachment as opposed to do the investigation into the impeached person or the person that's being inquired about being impeached. 
the, the press is a disgrace. I mean, it's so corrupt. It's, it's just beyond. It's more corrupt than Pravda was in Russia or the Soviet Union, I should say. It's insane. But they're all doing it. It didn't take long. They're all out there defending it. Meanwhile, Trump is guilty of everything. Nonstop. It's unbelievable. Everything in this country is just unbelievable right now. And getting worse. And I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. The next year between now and the election of November 2024 is going to be unlike any other period in our country's history. Uh, Buckle up. We're going to have all the, the Trump trials and all that stuff. We may have a Biden being impeached or indicted. Uh, who knows? Um, but there's no way this man could run again. I mean, it's obvious from his gaffes, wandering around the stage, not knowing where he is, uh, not answering any questions on anything ever, spending 40% of his time on vacation. Uh, the guy can't run again. He's toast. And I think even uh, the most hardened Democrat and the most hardened um, Democrat media, which is all of them basically, uh, are now beginning to realize that. And they're starting to turn on him. And there's no way that he's the candidate. I'm telling you right now. If he winds up being the candidate, I don't know anything about politics anymore. But I'm pretty sure that I'm right and he's not. All right, I think I'm going to end our podcast today. It's a relatively short one. Usually we go two hours, but I'm on vacation. I'm in 20-foot seas. I got my little uh, temporary laptop studio here. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to end it. You're going to want to join me on Wednesday for my podcast then because I have that <laughs> undercover interview with this higher-up FBI guy. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, I'm not going to play the whole thing, but it, it'll be a good portion of our show. Uh, on Wednesday, you want to get in touch with me. My uh, email address is lou at thefinancialphysician.com, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. And as always, if you want to come in and have a a financial consultation and review with me, uh, more than happy to do that. Just call my office, 732-905-8100, 732-905-8100. And always remember, I'm not far, right? I'm just right so far. Take care.